Hi, you are listening to a monthly interview series here on Radio Hara, which is curated by me, Stefan Christophe, in Montreal. Every month I bring to you a conversation with an artist. Um, this uh, month, January 2022, we are going to be speaking with Samantha Crane from the Chokta Nation. Uh, she is a singer-songwriter uh, who has sung and composed in Chokta indigenous language. Um, so that is the conversation this month on Radio Hara, and here is our exchange. So I guess first, um, maybe uh, if you could just introduce yourself, um, Samantha. Uh, I heard about your music from a friend, um, and I, I was really struck by the the, the emotion of it, but also um, the use of your language and uh, your songwriting. Uh, maybe if you could just uh, introduce yourself and share a bit about what you do. Yeah, uh, my name's Samantha Crane. I'm a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma. I'm born and raised in Oklahoma and moved back um, into Oklahoma about six years ago. And I write songs. Um, I do some poetry as well. I produce records. Um, I direct music videos sometimes. I'm sort of just like to make things in general. So um, anything that pops into my sort of vision, I guess, and makes sense, I, I like to kind of jump in and do it. But um, I have, over the past couple years, um, like you mentioned, um, started writing songs in the Choctaw language. Um, it's been kind of a slow process just because I'm basically learning the language as I've started writing songs. So I can kind of, um, it's just sort of a slow process of, of learning and then also writing. It's, um, if you think about trying to like write, uh, an essay or, um, you know, a term paper or something in a language that you're just learning. It's a bit awkward and stumbly and you're always having to like look up words that you're not really sure about and um, thinking about things in English, which is kind of like what I want to get out of um, because it's the language is so different just in terms of how it affects your thinking actually. And so um, I just eventually want to get to a point where I'm not thinking about what words I want to say in English and then translating them to Choctaw. I want to be able to kind of um, just think about what I want to say in Choctaw and do that. So, um, but hopefully the process gets a little bit quicker as um, as I get better with the language. But um, it just became something very important to me a few years ago, um, just as a way to sort of connect with my ancestors better. So if we're trying to locate the Choctaw language and think about sort of um, conceptually language as a different framing, right? Like uh, the ways that language shapes our thoughts and the way we relate to land, um, you know, when we remain as a song is about land and water. Um, a lot of um, 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 indigenous critiques of you know, colonial languages revolve around the idea that 
you know, this whole like language infrastructure has a totally different relationship to land and water and humanity. <laughs> um, yeah. Any thoughts on that or? Wish that I had like better words to sort of expand on it more than what you've already said. And it's such a hard thing to like explain. I'm sure like a linguistic um, person could like do a better job at explaining it. But that really is, um, I mean, what you said is the basis of it is just that like languages are built um, like words or the way that words relate to the world around it are, are made um, due to like, the values of the culture that the language belongs to. And so it's, it, it's just, um, for instance, I mean, this is like the, the most, the best example that I could give, um, to explain it would be that in Choctaw, there isn't a word for you're welcome. Um, there's the word ome, which just means, of course, I would do that for you. And the reason there isn't a word for your welcome is because the the phrase you're welcome, like we would say in English in the United States of America, it it sort of has this presumption that I've gone out of my way to do something for you. You recognize that. And um, and and now we're good. We've like <laughs> we've we've uh, we've sort of wrapped our minds around the interaction um, at that point. Whereas in the culture of the Choctaw people, um, there's no sort of interaction that exists like that, uh, his like historically within the values of like that tribe. The interaction would just be, we are brothers and sisters, we help each other because we're here together. Um, so there is no... There, there is no, like, uh, transactional thing about it. It's just like, yeah, of course, of course I would do that for you. Um, so that that's sort of the most basic, like, easy example I can give of, of like, values, a value system of a, of a culture or a tribe or a people playing into how the language is structured and... Um, like how you how you can like talk about and explain things about the world around you in some languages that would be different from others. That's my very like basic like you know grade grade one one o one like level um, understanding of it. I I really appreciate the response and I think that at the same time there isn't a lot of thought about the loaded nature of language often still. Right. So it's really appreciated. Um, your reflections. Thank you. Um, could you locate a bit uh, the Choctaw Nation and sort of contextualize um, um, like uh, you're a member of the nation, uh, traditionally its location and, and just sort of maybe locate for us a bit? Yeah, I always want to like preface these sorts of questions with um, that, like I I don't study um, Native American tribes or, or cultures or anything. I'm simply like a member of the tribe. And so the information that I have about the tribe that I belong to is um, 
very, like, first and second hand, um, just through, like, talking to people in my community and in my tribe, and so I don't, I don't ever want anyone to, like, come at me with, like, a book and say, but that's actually not true, um, because a lot of it, the, especially, like, around genocide and, and land removal and things like that in the United States, there's a lot of, um, facts that are told in a, uh, there's just, there's a lot of, like, there's the story side of things, and then there's, like, probably some sort of actual written, um, you know, factual sort of things. And so it's sometimes, um, through history, it's hard to, like, I think, piece those apart. And so I just like to preface, preface that. But I, so I live, where I live in Oklahoma, um, I actually don't live within the boundaries of the Choctaw Nation um, reservation. Those are ten and a half counties in southeastern Oklahoma. And the reason why that that's called the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, there is also a population of Choctaw people in what is modern-day Mississippi now. There's also a population of Choctaw people out in um, California. Um, and then they're also dotted everywhere because people move around and stuff. But I just mean in terms of like headquartered sort of communities of of people. Um, and that's because of um, the the Trail of Tears, the splintering of of tribes or and I don't mean splintering in terms of like disagreements within the tribe. I just mean um, in terms of like more, it's more like clan sort of splitting, like, families, um, splitting and moving elsewhere, um, but, oh, most of that started, the Choctaw people originated, they're a Muskegon tribe, and so they originated in sort of the southeast, what is, like, now modern-day southeast part of the United States, um, and that's where they were sort of floating around between sort of Mississippi, Alabama, that, that area for a really long time, um, before the Trail of Tears. And, um, some of them remained in modern day Mississippi. Um, and then some, most of them though, ended up being removed, um, to Indian territory, which is, um, what's referred to as Oklahoma now. Yeah, that's sort of the geographical, like, location of most uh, communities of Choctaws right now. When We Remain, um, can you talk a bit about that song? It's just so beautiful. Um, the video also is really amazing. I, I get the sense from that work and the video that you're really part of a community of artists also. Um, you, I get a, a vibe that you that you have a lot of active collaborators in terms of visual artists and, you know, different different um, different sort of fronts in the collaborative works that you do. Could you talk about that piece and also just um, maybe sort of the community of artists that you're part of? Yeah. So um, I guess to start that song, um, it is 
I guess technically the second Choctaw language song that I have that I had put out, um, and and that song in particular was, I think, meant to be sort of my version of like, um, I don't know, like one of those old sort of s- songs that they would sing at like a protest like in the 60s or something like we shall overcome or something like that like i i think about uh music within the choctaw tribe and and how it's been a really long time since there have been new songs that could be adopted into the tribe as sort of um like folk songs like songs that everybody ends up knowing and learning and that sort of thing and largely that's because um of a whole other issue of like uh proof proof of identity and like identity crises within like um younger people within the tribe um and that's like a whole like historical thing um that would take a while to get into but i i think it it's been a while since there has been something that existed like that and i i just kind of wanted to try my best to to do something that would be like my version of that something that i could sing as like a celebratory um sort of we've made it through uh sort of anthem i guess um and so so that's sort of where my head was whenever i was writing the song um sort of that phrase that floats in and out of um i think the native art world which is you know we survive you i I see that like painted onto you know graffiti a lot and that sort of thing which is um the boldness um, within the native artists to, to sort of make the proclamation that, um, you, to colonialism that, like, you didn't succeed in wiping us out. Um, and so that was, that was sort of the idea behind the song. The video, um, was, I'm assuming you're referring to the animation one. The video, um, that's the first time that I've had any sort of animation, and that was, um, there's a, a group of creators called the Wild Honey Pie that, um, contacted me about doing a video for that song, because they were working with, um, with Kohler to do sort of like a clean water initiative, largely for the, um, for the Navajo people, and, and, they wanted to use that song because it, they felt like it had, it, or they wanted to like collaborate together with that using that song because they felt like um, it sort of retained the spirit behind, um, you know, what they were trying to to communicate. I think, and I thought that that was like a really cool oper- collaborative opportunity um, where it was also kind of. I think bringing, drawing attention to something that, um, you know, not a lot of people are aware of, which is the lack of access to, to clean water in a lot of, uh, reservations in the United States. Um, 
I've had a lot of really good luck and also um, really, yeah, I guess I was, I guess I would just call it luck um, of finding people that I think I really jive with just like on a taste level, like we, we share, um, you know, similar visions in, in how the thing should, should look um, as it's being presented to the world. And so, you know, with that, with that goes, like I, um, most of my videos I do with um, a guy here in Oklahoma named Raul Chakraborty and his wife. And then, um, uh, and then I work with a variety of different like musicians whenever I'm doing, you know, recording and stuff like that, um, or playing live. It's been like a learning process for me, like I said, because I am, I do like to create in a vacuum, but I think at the end of the day, like being vulnerable to letting other people into the, um, creating process of what you're doing is, is usually the way that you end up growing or creating something that it actually has some sort of, um, meaning to a lot of other different people. Because, you know, if you're just giving your own perspective and nobody else's perspective is in it, then, um, you know, it's only going to reach like, or mean something to a few people. Whereas if, um, you know, you can get a few different, uh, minds or backgrounds or, or sort of hands in the pot, then it, I think it has more, more of a chance to reach more people or mean something to more people. That was so, <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> I read a bit about, um, where you've been at in the last few years, I, I believe it was an article on NPR. Um, and just, it was outlining how it had taken, you know, you'd gone through a lot of struggles to sort of arrive where you are now as a singer songwriter, as an artist. Um, how, how, uh, how is that all going? Like, where are you at right now? And how are you feeling about your work? Uh, what are you working on? What are some projects that you might want to share that people might be interested in learning about? Um, I, I feel really good just in terms of like my relationship to, you know, making music right now. I, I'm assuming that you're talking about like the car wreck. Yeah. Ha that was, you know, back in 2017 and, I had gone through a period of time during that, after that, which I couldn't play. Um, I, I, def I definitely couldn't, like, play shows. And, you know, besides that, I couldn't even do things like hold a pen and stuff. My hands just, like, weren't working, really. And um, it was sort of a long process, um, not just, like, through getting like the physical part of that working again, it was it was a lot of like mental stuff to jump through as well, which is um, like that that I feel like kind of prepped me for the whole um, pandemic, honestly, because I think that that was something that a lot of people were struggling with during the pandemic. As you basically say, like most people got you know their jobs taken away from them, their everyday like sort of schedule of what 
what their purpose is, what they find as, as like their reason to like get out of bed and, and do their thing. Um, and then all of a sudden everybody that gets taken away from them and then they're faced with, well, who am I then outside of all of these things that I can't do anymore? Um, do I even like that person? What does that person do? You know, that sort of kind of crises of identity, I think that, um, most people won't, wouldn't have like experienced, I think in, in any other circumstance. And I, I feel like that's something that I kind of went through back in 2017, whenever I was sort of forced out of, um, the music world because of these injuries. Um, and I, so I kind of got like a head start in answering all of those really hard questions, <laughs> um, which I think. Right on, right on. Yeah. I, it probably got pretty annoying to most people to be around because everyone's, you know, having a rough time going through that process during the pandemic. And I'm just like, oh, I think I'm cool. I think I get it. I can just be here and be quiet. And <laughs> so probably pretty annoying um, and a bit smug, I'm sure. But the. In terms of how things are going with music, I feel like in a really good place. I I feel um, I feel like really creative and really um, I don't know, like in a in a good open sort of mind, which is like where you want to be whenever you're making things. You want to just kind of be open for for inspiration wherever it may come from. I. I put out a full-length record and an EP during the pandemic, um, so I am a bit empty <laughs> as far as um, music, but I am, like, in a writing sort of circle. I'm, I'm in, like, the, the cycle of writing right now for, for a new record, hopefully. Um, so I've got a lot of songs I'm working on right now. Um, I've got a couple of local um, artists here in Oklahoma that I'm producing records for right now. Um, probably nothing that I can like say anything past that about right now. But um, but that's that's sort of like where I'm at right now is just is just in a writing um, cycle right now because I've for the past I guess two years have been in the process of making all of the things to release the music that I, that I recorded. So, you know, doing a lot of music videos and, and playing shows when I can, I'm trying to play shows now that things have like opened up a little bit, um, here and there. I did some touring in the UK and, um, a bit of touring here in the U S I'm still trying to like be somewhat, um, mindful of, you know, the risk of everything right now and just take things when they feel like they make sense. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I guess, uh, maybe just a last question. Um, if there's, um, any artists, uh, particularly indigenous artists or others, uh, anybody really that you're like, paying attention to right now that you want to shout out, um, people that, that you, are finding exciting that you would like to direct people's attention towards? Um, 
I feel like I was listening to the beginning of that question, and then my brain turned it into something else at the end. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer it to the best of my ability. Um, the <laughs> the the first part of the question I thought was moving. The the way that I was like thinking about it while you were asking it was, I was I was about to answer something like for indigenous artists like any, any words for indigenous artists. And the thing that I was thinking in my head was, um, kind of about something I had mentioned earlier, which was like the really common thing that exists within young indigenous people. I think a lot of times is like this fear of making things because it doesn't feel like Indian enough. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have this weird, like socialized colonial view of what Native American like art or music or something should look like. And I, I hate that, that that's been like something that has been ingrained in, into us. Um, because however it is that young indigenous people have, have grown up, whatever their life has looked like. Um, thus far, their relationship, their closeness to, to their culture or their ancestors or their traditions, their closeness or their lack of connection with it at all is not, it's, it's so not even like their fault one way or another. It's like, that comes from years and years and years of, of, of genocide and whitewashing and land removal and boarding schools and all of these things that were thrown at indigenous populations to try and detach them from their ancestors and their traditions. And so for young indigenous people to be scared to like make things because it doesn't feel, they're worried that like if, if they appear as an indigenous person and they're making something that doesn't look Native American or something. It's just like a, a huge fear, I think. And I think something that meant a lot to me when I heard it, that my friend Tommy Orange, who's a writer, he wrote a book called There There, which is an excellent book, but he mentions, I don't, I don't know if it's in the book or if it's just something he talks about whenever he's like talking about the book, which is that if you're indigenous, um, Anything that you make, if you make a painting, if you, if you write a song, if you cook a meal, if you um, write a poem, that is indigenous because you're indigenous, not because it meets some standards of, of like a col colonial like ideal of like Native American creation. Um, it exists in the indigenous canon of creation because you are indigenous. So like, um, I feel like whenever I heard that and really figured out how to like embody that, it helped me be a lot more comfortable with not being worried about that feeling of like, not looking Indian enough or acting Indian enough, because it's just like, there's no such thing. Like it's, there's, there's no one way to be 
native or indigenous, there's, um, there's, you know, a million different perspectives and experiences. So that was like the question I was thinking about in my brain. But then, but then, <laughs> because I probably stopped listening to the question at some point, I, I heard at the end, it was like, if there were indigenous artists that I was like really excited about right now. Um, uh, or, or other, any artists that you would wanted to shut out. Well, to be completely honest, whenever I'm in a writing cycle, I don't listen to a lot of music. Um, I listen to a ton of music, like whenever I'm recording and whenever I'm like releasing music, I, I gobble up music then. But for some reason, whenever I'm writing, I don't listen to a lot of music. So I haven't been listening to a ton of music right now. But um, I will say in terms of like indigenous songwriters right now. I really love William Prince. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all, but I've been lucky enough to get to like do some song swap sort of shows with him in Canada a couple of times at different folk festivals. And I just think he's great. I think he's such a good storyteller and such a, yeah, just like really cool person, really good person. And I would always like to shout him and his workout. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, beautiful work uh, for sure. Um, well, um, thank you so much for taking the time um, for this conversation today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. This has been an interview with Samantha Crane, an Indigenous singer-songwriter from the Choctaw Nation uh, who composes music, songs uh, that explores both the Choctaw language but also Indigenous heritage. This is the monthly interview series that Stefan Christoph Me curates on Radio Hara in Palestine. I bring to you a conversation every month with an artist working uh, in their communities, but also having an international perspective in their work. And thanks again to Samantha Crane for being part of this series. Take care. <laughs>